0: the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
1: For the last three days, I have been in the Georgetown University Hospital taking care of my friend Susan, who is undergoing surgery. The hospital is one of the best in the country, and the care they gave my friend was formidable. Aside from their fastidious and obsessive attention to cleanliness, There was a serious hand-washing policy enforced as the nurses visited each patient on the floor and even flowers were forbidden in the rooms. There was also particular attention paid to pain. Someone in the hospital's design department created a poster that was prominently displayed nearly everywhere with the headline, Are You in Pain?, and it included the following copy. If you are in pain, you have the right to proper pain management. Talk to your doctor or nurse about it. Here's why. No one should have to live with pain. There are medications that really work. The doctor or nurse can't help you unless you tell them about your pain. Featured on the poster were ten face icons. They were numbered one through ten, and they ranged from a pleasant, happy face to a face in utter agony. Each icon was numbered and corresponded to the amount of pain a person could be in. Zero was no pain, five was distressing pain, and ten signified unbearable pain. The purpose of the graphic was to allow a patient to simply point to the emoticon that correlated to the amount of pain they were in. This, of course, got me thinking about the subjective versus objective nature of pain and how quickly we are in our culture today, to articulate discomfort or annoyance or any number of pains we might believe constantly plague us. Aside from the very measurable amount of pain patients are in, there is something else a visitor encounters in abundance while being in a hospital for a number of days. Time. Time moves very slowly in a hospital. There are no cell phones or computers allowed, And if the loved one you have come to visit or care for is in surgery or sleeping, there is very little to do. Mostly during my experience at Georgetown University Hospital, I sat around thinking. I also continued my journey through Eric Kandel's incredible autobiography, In Search of Memory. In his book, Nobel Prize winner Eric Kandel charts the intellectual history of the emerging biology of the mind, and he illuminates how behavioral psychology, cognitive psychology, neuroscience, and molecular biology have converged to allow us to understand how memories are formed and where they actually reside in our brains. For the work he did in this field, he was awarded the Nobel Prize in 2000. When I couldn't read anymore, I walked the halls and perused the other posters about coping with things like survival, and advanced cancer, and stem cell transplantation, and bereavement. And I felt guilty about how lucky I am and how much I take for granted being healthy. I thought about how hard I've been working this past year, and I wondered exactly what I've been doing. I wondered why, as a culture, we seem to use busyness as a badge of honor. I questioned if I needed to be busy in order to feel worthy of being alive, and wondered if there was anything I was using my uber-busy schedule to distract me from thinking about. When I got back to Candle's book, the answer magically fell before me. In describing his need to constantly run experiments in order to feel that he was continually accomplishing something, he realizes that it's taking a toll on his marriage. He corrects the errors of his ways just in the nick of time, and he confides the following. As a consequence, I learned the obvious lesson that hard thinking, especially if it leads to even one useful idea, is much more valuable than simply running more experiments. Candle is then reminded of a comment made about the scientist Jim Watson by Matt Peruth, the Viennese-born British structural biologist, and this is what he says. Jim never made the mistake of confusing hard work with hard thinking. Traveling back home to New York, I sat in a seat next to two real estate moguls traveling together who talked on their cell phones for the entire two-hour and 50-minute trip. When the conductor came around to collect our tickets, one of the gentlemen couldn't find his ticket, and he wouldn't get off the phone as he searched through his bags and his pockets. Finally, he told the conductor that he had lost his ticket. As he begrudgingly hung up his phone, He looked at me and sneered as he quipped, freaking pain in the ass. At that moment, all I wanted to do was whip out the trusty pain poster that Susan's nurse let me take and ask him where his freaking pain might reside on a scale of 1 through 10. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the designer, Ann Willoughby. Before we get started with our interview, please let me tell you a bit more about her. Anne Willoughby is the President and Creative Director of the Willoughby Design Group, a brand innovation and identity design firm she founded in 1978. Willoughby Design has developed brand identity systems for groundbreaking retail startups, as well as the Lee Company, Hallmark, Playtex, and Nestle. Each year, more and more companies turn to Anne and her collaborative team of 18 to help them create innovative products, communications, and brand experiences that bring heightened beauty, emotion, simplicity, and meaning to new generations. Anne is a former National Board Director for the AIGA, the Professional Association for Design, and Anne serves on the National Board for AIGA Center for Brand Experience and is a member of the Editorial Board of HAL Magazine. Willoughby Design Group has won awards from Print Communication Arts, Graphics, and AIGA, and has been published for over 25 years in national and international competitions and books. In 2005, Rockport selected Willoughby Design Group as one of the best design firms in the U.S., and also in 2005, the forum was awarded a How Perfect Ten Award for Kevin Carroll's identity and book, Rules of the Red Rubber Ball. Welcome, Anne.
2: Hello, Debbie.
1: How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Nice to hear your voice. Well, it's good to be here. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your, your humble beginnings and I understand that you got your start designing windows at Belk's Department Store in Mississippi back in nineteen sixty four. And I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Well you are a very good researcher. I, will tell you. <laughs> I have a good reason. <laughs> no idea where you found that. Well, um I, 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 uh that was my first job. And uh, I had that job simply because I needed to have a job in order to put myself through school. Mm-hmm. But I learned so much um, from those first experiences um, because I learned how to hand letter um, signs. Never, never knew that before. I learned how to dress a mannequin. Most people don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I began to learn what... Um, Really fabulous windows were, and how you tell how you tell a story through windows. So that was a that was a terrific job, and it allowed me to um, um, work my way through college uh, by running the advertising uh, department of a of another store across the street. So when I graduated from college, I had a I had a pretty good education in, in fashion design.
1: Now, did you study design in college? I did. Now, when, when Belts first hired you, and I understand he hired you, hired you as an intern for 75 cents an hour That's for right. one school quarter. That's right. And he promised
2: that he would make you a master window dresser. Right. And did he? Well, um, you know, I learned a lot from him, and, and he was a, he was an O-pro. He was just terrific, I, and I learned a lot. I did.
1: And so did that influence how you became a designer? I mean, I understand that you design, you studied design in school, but did that
2: influence how you approached design at all? You know, well, yes, it did, and, and it, uh, probably more in my second job there because that was my first one, and then I um, started working with a man across the street. At Waldorf, uh, and he dreamed of being Stanley Marcus. And so, uh, in fact, we went over there a couple times uh, uh, to um, Dallas and... We would uh, meet meet all the people at Neiman's and then we'd go back to Hattiesburg and we would dream we were uh, uh, sort of a junior Neiman's. But what, what I learned in that experience, Deb, was that um, I love to look at problems in a holistic way. And I think I've never lost that. In other words, I never looked at, say, advertising or um, merchandising or fashion design or illustration or anything as a discrete um, activity. But rather, I saw how they all influenced each other and that the the experience of the customer was enhanced by everything working as a total idea.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, when did you first know that you wanted to be
2: a designer? Well, it was probably when I was a little girl because uh, my dad had, um, he wore starch shirts, and he would give me the cardboard to back, and I would draw on them. So Uh There was usually one every day, so I had a fresh canvas every day, and then I used to draw on the little, um, you know, the cardboards, and then I would put them, like hang them up or set them up, and it looked like a little gallery. Uh Uh-huh. That was, of course, then I thought I was going to be an artist, but... uh, Well, you are an artist. Well, you have to remember, I grew up at a time when women didn't work when they grew up. So was it a rather revolutionary idea for your parents that you wanted to have a career? Well, they were actually fine with it. It's just that they also wanted me to make sure that I had a great husband and a bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> they thought I, they thought I'd get over it, you know. So they wanted you to have it all. Basically. They they wanted me to have it all but they thought I'd get over the work. Did they? <laughs> Yes, it didn't work that way. Now, after you graduated, you moved to Kansas City. That's
1: right. And you've lived there ever since. What made you decide to pick Kansas City as your place of residence?
2: Well, back then, I would say that um, I came north, as most people do, because I married a man, and he was doing an internship at KU Med Center. And so we chose to come to Kansas City. And though we're not together any longer, um, we, um, you know, our children are, you know, grew up here, and we both stayed in the city. And actually, Kansas City is a—it was, was a wonderful choice for us, and it was a great place to raise the children. And we have quite a lively design community here, an art, art uh, sense of art, and um, you know, I've been very happy with this choice.
1: Well, I think that you, in large part, have helped develop the design community in Kansas City. And when we come back from our break, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. Um, Unfortunately, we have to take our first break. Um, I'd like to let everybody know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the designer, Ann Willoughby. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away
3: listen wherever you are 24-hour business and financial news solid focused and informed the leader in business talk voice america business at voiceamerica.com
4: And now, Voices of Design, a documentary series brought to you by Adobe Systems. The Voices of Design series brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange ideas on various topics. Today's show features a three-part discussion focused on the topic of sustainability. This is part one. Enjoy.
5: What is sustainability? And what does it mean to the design community? Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here is Phil Hamlet, Chairman, AIGA Environmental Committee. The definition of sustainability that I like to use is quite simple. It's basically leave the place in better shape than you found it. Scott Summit, Summit ID.
3: Sustainability is particularly elusive, especially in industrial design, and that's one of the main reasons I'm here is to try to get a handle on what it means and just how it applies to what I do every day and what I can impart to my clients.
5: Mark Willard, IDO. The pressure is on, and whoever solves it in a more sustainable and desirable way is ahead of the game and and is what, whether people sort of consciously or subconsciously know it, it's, it's definitely what we need. You have been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems
0: to grow a company, revenues need to grow. To grow revenues, the organization needs to grow. But what does it take to get and keep quality personnel needed to grow business? Tune into Real People Really Leading with Trish Lambert. Get the inside scoop on how to leverage your best assets to sustained business growth. Trish and her expert guests, from business owners to CEOs to solopreneurs, share the knowledge, experience and business savvy they have used to lead their teams to continual and persistent business victory. Real People Really leading broadcast every thursday at 2 p.m pacific 5 p.m eastern on the voice america business channel real people really leading because knowing is growing
3: keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business this is voice america business
0: We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
1: Welcome back. It is 318 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer Ann Willoughby, If you'd like to join our conversation or if you have a question for Ann, our phone lines are open. Please call 1-866-472-5790. And Ann, we have a caller. Um, We have Gregory from New Jersey. Gregory from New Jersey, thank you for calling Design Matters.
6: Hi, Debbie. Hi, Ann. Hi, Gregory. It's fascinating, the whole uh, window dressing thing, actually, because um, I'm from the South, so I know Belk, and uh, my family had a retail business, and my father had this book that was from probably the very early 70s of window dressings of very famous department stores. Oh. And he had a store next to his that was empty, and he allowed me to dress the empty windows. And I would copy these fabulous windows that were from iMagnet and Bergdorf and, in fact, Neiman Marcus. And I, I believe that it's a very overlooked design medium. And I'm wondering, if have you ever been asked to design windows since?
2: Well, Actually, that's a great question I have. And uh, in fact, we have a couple of retail accounts in which we, you know, they have, they're, they're more in malls and things like that. And we do the windows. We have to do it for like 300 stores. So they're, they're more like you would see the gap or something like that. But um, we, we have a new client called Fung. And it's, an Asia, it's a very upscale Asian lifestyle store. And we have been designing the windows for that. And I haven't done them in years. And it's just been fascinating doing
6: it again i mean would you agree that it that you know most people where they walk especially in malls they walk past store windows and think, people even think about the fact that someone has designed them or do they just think someone's changing the mannequins
7: well, <laughs> it's you kind
6: thankless in a way when you yeah. think about it and, it and it is an amazing design form well i think what's interesting is that it used to be the most
2: incredible uh, idea and especially in the urban settings and people would come you know, I mean. I would look at them, you know, and look at pictures, and when I'd go to the big cities, I would look at them. And now, with all the malls and everything, I think the whole art has really, except for very few stores, it's almost, you know, it's almost gone away. Right. And yeah. who do
1: you think is doing a good job with windows these days?
2: Uh, well, in New York, I'm trying to think who who I really like.
1: Because even those, you know, fabulous yeah. old F.A.O. Yeah.
2: Schwartz windows yeah. are gone They're now. They're gone. They're gone. Um, is it Brooktop that still has really great ones? That had the someone had Barney wow. red bows, red, red bows in them. Yeah, red, Barney's has amazing. Bar- it must be, it must Barney, be Simon yeah. just Barney's. Simon Union is I was there about a month ago, and they had this whole window that was red, and it had buttons and bows in it, and it was just incredible. You know, someone had obviously spent a lot of time designing it, and it was visually so compelling. And occasionally you see those now. No, I think Barney's would be the best. Yeah, well they... You, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to thank Gregory for calling. Well, thank you, Gregory. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, you go right ahead, Ann. Ann? Oh, oh, yes, I'm here. Oh, good. I thought I lost you for a second no, there. I'm here. Um, so tell me, how did you decide to open up your own shop? It's, you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s. It's not a time where women are really, forget about having their own careers. They're certainly not
2: starting their own businesses. What made you decide to start your own business? Well, I think you kind of have to go back to that time and look at the kind of uh, opportunities there were. Um, we were still moving out of, of sort of the studio system or the what we called then the, you know, uh, they, were, they were basically shops that uh, serviced advertising agencies or they were small firms um, that had their own clients or they were in-house, you know, firms. And back then, of course, everything was done by a designer, Things that people like with computers did themselves, but um, I had the lucky um, opportunity because of some people I worked with here in Kansas City um, to attend the Aspen Design Conference. Because I had worked at Macy's and Halls and some really high-end stores here, and w- the people were really smart and they had they, they understood international design. And so when um, I went to the um, International Design Conference for the first time. Well, I think it just really opened my eyes to the to the h- sort of whole world of design and just the many opportunities. And uh, I met Milton Glaser there along with the, all the other wonderful people. And, and when were, was this exactly? This was, I, I think it was 1972, I believe. Wow. And um, so when I came back to Kansas City, um, I had been working at M- Macy's and then at Swanson's, which is a, was a little a high-end department store here. And um, I decided to open my own shop or my own studio at the time because I really believed there was an opportunity here in Kansas City to do something different than advertising. And I took on very small clients, but they were clients who were really visionaries. And so the work was always very interesting and it was much more centered around designing. um, Obviously, there were objects, but there were also Books, uh, there were posters, uh, there were environments that I was able to design, but did a lot of startups for people. And it was really, you know, that, that's where I got the, the whole um, idea that that uh, you could have a very very successful, thriving small business. And so
1: have you purposefully kept it under 20 people all these years? Yes. Is yes. So that something
2: that you've done intentionally? Never been over, maybe 21 once, but usually somewhere between 18 and 20.
1: Was there ever a time where you looked back, or or were in the middle of something, and said,
2: "Why am I doing this?" Oh, yes. You <laughs> <laughs> still do that. I think I think right sizing is the, one of the hardest things to do for for a firm. You know, just finding the right mix of teams and people, and you know, you know, young people. If you hire the very best, like I try to do, they want opportunity and they want to they want the chance to. Um, to grow and stretch, and of course, some people come and some people stay, and you're constantly kind of reconfiguring everything. But you know, over time, you, you really build a, you really kind of build a way of working, and it's, for the most part, it, I think it's very joyful, and I really enjoy it. I can't imagine doing anything else. Now, you've obviously had a very successful
1: practice for for many, many many years i actually got a a good laugh a couple of years ago i saw that you were in the graphic design usa 50 people to watch and i was like i've been watching her for what seems like 50 years so it was interesting to see you know you in that The watching yes exactly um but what was the first project that that you got when you knew that you were really like onto something really
2: good really important really big oh that's a great question um I really think that the first um, the first clients that I really enjoyed were people that understood um, the power of relationships and and that together we could create something bigger and richer than either of us could have imagined and those are clients that really have a lot of trust in you and and um Probably one of the most satisfying things was working on Gordon McKenzie's book. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that, his book, Orbiting the Giant Herod. Yeah, I mean, it was just such an incredible relationship. Another person is Gail Lozoff. She's been a client for, oh, my God, 20-something years now. We just did another another, um, uh, startup for her. We've done four startups. Which is amazing. That's a, a lot of new businesses. And and she's the person that you've done the work with Einstein Bagels. Uh-huh, that's right. And yeah. we just did a new one called Spin. It's just so successful. I mean, she really has the she really has the instinct for it, and she understands because she is a designer as well. I work with a lot of designers. Does that make sense? Yeah. A lot of yeah. designers come to us, and we help them design what they're doing, which I don't quite understand, but. <laughs> It's okay. probably something about yep. your, your ability to be
1: an empath as well as a good designer. Um, but I want to talk to you very specifically about uh, your, the, some of the books that you've done, okay. three books in particular, okay. um, if we get the time. Okay. Um, I'd like to talk to you about Gordon McKenzie's book. Okay. And I, I, in, in the research that, that we found about you, um, he's apparently been somebody that really influenced your practice and your life quite substantially. And it was actually incredibly moving to to read about how he influenced you and and sort of changed you. And I I wonder if you could share that with some of our listeners.
2: Well, I had had known Gordon for, oh, oh, I'm trying to think, when we we started working on his book, oh, probably 20 years. Gordon was a very senior creative person at Hallmark. Yes, he was um, was at Hallmark and he was given the title Creative Paradox or, or rather he chose it. Because he didn't quite fit anywhere, but what, what happened is he turned—he turned out to be sort of the person that elevated um, the creative department and creative people in the company. And he was always uh, sort of the ambassador of the designers at Hallmark. And um, Gordon was an was an incredible man, wonderful writer, and he was an artist himself. Um, And we became really good friends over the years. And Gordon um, had developed um, a a pattern of um, speaking that was very successful in which he told these little stories, um, little parables about life and about how we kind of find our inner genius, if you will. Mm -hmm. And um, the way he did his speeches, he would hold up, of, he would put them on a line, pieces of paper that would have like one object on them, like a, one might have a dollar bill or one might have a George Washington or whatever. But each one of them was a symbol for a story he would tell. And he allowed the audience to direct the story because of, of the image they chose. Well, when we um, started working on his book, um, we, we began to organize it
7: according to his
2: stories. And and if you understand the kind of the way marketing works these days, especially if you're a speaker like he was, um, you really need a book. A book -hmm. is is what you kind of sell out the back door. work. Yeah, your message. Exactly. um, But Gordon wanted to, to, he went to many publishers, and, of course, no one understood what he wanted. And so they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. And then he was never happy with the results. And so he decided to self-publish, and he came... Came to us and asked if we'd do it. Said, "Of course." And what was interesting about it is that Gordon—I um, mean, he wanted this book to be the most incredible thing in the world. And so, I mean, we just, this was such an expensive book because you know he would not rest until it was embossed and it, the, the, you know had every technique in the world. And it was uh, <laughs> Steinauer printed it. It was it was quite amazing. And uh, he. He financed it, I think, with his life savings, and I was so nervous about it, but it, wow. he said, I'm going to do it. Well, it turned out really great because the book did very well. He continued to speak, and I think toward the end he was getting 25000 a speech or something. Oh, good. Well, that was, he know, so it did work. Then. But what really happened that was great is he got a contract with Viking, and he died oh, about five years ago, five or six, but before he died, he did Really well. The book had sold. I'm not quite sure how many, but it was well over a hundred thousand um, dollars, and a hundred thousand copies in um, before 2000. So he did very well with it. Oh, good. Well, I, one of my
1: all-time now new favorite quotes is orbiting is following your bliss yes, exactly. And uh, the book is called Orbiting the Giant Hairball by Gordon McKenzie, If our listeners are interested. Um, Well, thank you for that story, and unfortunately, we have to take another break, Um, but we will be back shortly, and I'd like to let everybody know that you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the lovely Anne Willoughby. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away.
3: dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
4: And now, part two of Adobe's Voices of Design series, a documentary that brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange. Today's topic is sustainability. Enjoy.
5: The Challenge of Sustainable Design. Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here is Sonora Bean, Digital Hive Ecological Design.
8: Sustainability isn't just a great idea, but it's a design challenge. And so as designers, how can we use our skills and our thinking and our strategy to promote social change?
5: Ron Radziner, Marmal Radziner Architects.
6: I think that architecture,
0: as a profession, that we've become too removed from the actual act of making, and we've become kind of just aesthetic consultants. And I think that our office is this attempt to bring that all back together, which is really how buildings used to be designed and built, and take responsibility for what we design.
6: You have
5: been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems.
8: There you go.
0: You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker, The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, businessamericaradio.com.
3: Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business.
6: We're
0: back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
1: Hi from New York, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the internet focusing on issues related to graphic design. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guest today is designer Anne Willoughby. If you want to join our conversation, if you have a question for Anne, now's your chance. Our phone lines are open. The number is one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. And Anne, we do have another caller for you. Uh Isabel from New York, thank you for calling Design Matters.
8: Hi Anne, hi Debbie. Hello. Hi. Hi. And looking back at the journey you took in the design industry um, when you started out, do you think things would be that much harder or easier for you in today's environment? I mean, because right now design is more celebrated than ever before, but now it's such a business than ever before. I don't know. Do you think you'd be able to commit a larger percentage of your time doing what you really, really love? Um, you mean then or now? Now. If you were to do it all over again now or advice for people yeah. today.
2: Well, that, that, that's a very
8: interesting question. Well, I think,
2: the, um, in fact, Deb and I were just talking about that. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> we were just talking about that during the break. Well, this is my opinion. Uh, and, of course, we never we can never quite look back on our time realistically because we have our own perception of it. But I think the larger issues like family and how we sort of move through our life. Those never change, but you know, I mean, if you have children, it's always harder. Those kind of things. But I do think there is, we're at a moment in in um, our our evolution of our profession where I think it's a lot, at least for me, um, more difficult to really do the things I want to do. And, and I think part of it is because of just this incredible amount of stuff going on with it. Whether it's emails or whatever, I just I find that very I find that um, sort of distracting, and and I prefer to journal. I prefer to uh, get away where there's nothing. I mean, I have to do that to re-energize myself, and I don't know how you experience that, Isabel. If you're able to do that, but that's my experience. Well, uh- Isabel, what's uh, your answer to that question? How do you manage? <laughs>
8: Thank you. And, well, I also kind of wanted to know, um, before people seemed so much more nurturing and not everything was due the next minute, the next half hour and you had more time to work on what you were working on. I mean, do you have any advice for designers today or, or people who just, like, time isn't their luxury. They, It's not like it was before. People aren't always nurturing. Or-
2: yeah, you know, well, that's, I don't know, I don't know about the nurturing part. Um, I, I suspect that I suspect, I'm not sure, do you work in a big company or do you work for yourself? Or what, do you uh, work? I freelance. You freelance, okay. Yes. So you, you're finding that just people are just making more of a transaction out of your work rather than having it be a real relationship?
8: Maybe. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Well, I think that's always existed to a certain extent, but um, um, but I think it's more so now uh, because I think it has to do with time and speed and what Deb and I were talking about a while ago, which is... Um, from Bruce Sterling has this wonderful new book out called Shaping Things in which he talks about opportunity cost and, and cognitive load, which is having so much going on that you really don't have the time or the luxury of doing things in a thoughtful manner. I think that's partially a product of today.
1: Well, I think it's really interesting in that there are all of these gadgets now that are supposed to make our lives easier to manage and give us more time to do things, but I feel that people have less time than ever before, and if anything, we're probably diluting the impact of having that time with all of these gadgets because we're so
2: obsessed with keeping in touch with them. (laughs) Well, I I agree with you, and and to Isabella's question or point, even though um, I think it's that everyone lives in this kind of of, uh, charged uh, time now, and you, literally, I have to get away from it. I have to shut off the phone, shut off the emails, and go away in order to recharge. I can't do it. Um, I can't design during the day like I used to. Um, I used to be able to come into work and design and to do things. Now I, it feels like I have to do it. Um, I have to shut the door or I have to do something else in order to have the, the um, time to think and reflect or I have to go home and work on it. I don't know. That's, that's 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 new for me. Oh, I I I I've been experiencing that for
1: quite a long time where the hours of 9 to 5 or 9 to 6 are basically putting out fires and managing. Mm-hmm. It's the hours in the morning or in the evening where I feel like I'm able to get any genuinely good work done. <laughs> and it's really sad that you know most of the day is spent responding to emails and phone calls and mm-hmm you know, all the sort of administrative things that are necessary in keeping a business going.
2: No, I, no, I think I think the quality of our work isn't as good when we do that because we don't have that kind of built-in human cognitive
1: reflective
2: time that is so important.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, it, you know, I mentioned this in the monologue, but spending the three days that I have essentially isolated from the rest of the world, time went very very slowly you know the days just fly by our lives fly by we are so inundated with things that we need to do and once everything stops it comes to a screeching halt and you're sort of sitting there listening to the clock and and sort of confronting yourself and your pace and life itself you kind of wonder what it is we're all really pursuing and you know it gets quite philosophical and a little bit sad as well, but also joyous in that we have this
2: time to do the things that we want to do if we let ourselves. Well, it's, it's really about, it's really, I think, in the end, about directing our activities, mm-hmm. saying no when we need to say no. And uh, I think that's that's really probably the most important tool we have is the ability to, to um,
3: expand
2: our compressed, our, our sort of obligations and, and cognitive overload by mm-hmm. saying, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to do the emails today. Yes. I'll do them yeah. at the end. I'll submit an hour at the end of the day or whatever, and that's that.
1: And then you go through with the withdrawal. I mean, I know people that are, are literally unable to do that. Part of what was so nice about being in Europe last week was our inability to be constantly connected to the rest of the world, which was in some ways really frightening because then, of course, you're not in control of what's happening, (laughs) but it was also enlightening in that it was, you know, really freeing. Um, Well, Isabel, thank you for calling uh, Design Matters, and Annie, I want to talk to you about um, some of your other projects and some of your other work. I I also wanted to talk to you about the book that you designed for Kevin Carroll. He's the, the CD of Nike. Um, I think he also has a unique title, if I'm not mistaken.
2: That's right. He's the catalyst. The catalyst at (laughs) Nike. He's no longer at Nike. Oh, he's no longer at Nike. But now he's out there giving um, $30,000 corporate uh, speeches. So he's doing quite well. I think there's a common denominator here, Annie, of of the work that you do for these people. Well, basically, um, or not basically, but Gordon and um, Kevin... Both have this charisma, and they're able to really um, attract and motivate audiences. Of, and, and both of them actually were more popular with CEOs than they are with designers, which is kind of crazy because the intention with both both men was to inspire designers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen Kevin in action at a couple of events. And, I mean, talk about ability. He was at an event in Kansas City a couple of weeks ago, and he raised $75,000 at a luncheon because of his abilities for a school here. And he was amazing. He, he did that for free, of course. But he, um, he, he's, he's just a very um, inspiring person who lifted himself out of a very difficult situation life he was basically homeless without parents and he worked his way through his own character building and finding ways to sustain his life and that's what he does now he goes out and helps other people and the book is again a way of reinforcing the message right how It's it's, it's really interesting that you
1: are um working with these people that are Or have worked with with so many people that are inspiring and have this charisma, and having met you and have known knowing you now, at least you know a little bit for the last couple of years. I would say that that's also true of yourself. Um, Do you feel like you have a style that your work is of a particular style, or do you feel that your work is more reflective of the style of the people that you work with?
2: I believe that it's not about work, I believe or style. I believe it's about relationships, mm-hmm. and I really do. I think that every single thing that walks through this door, in terms of work, beco- comes here because of a relationship, and the work is shaped by the designers that work here at Willoughby,
3: mm-hmm. uh, certainly. And I
2: give them full credit because we have wonderful designers and uh, writers and strategists, and um, but when we're working for someone we're really working on their, their behalf I mean I mean that's the whole idea is to really help them shape whatever it is we're doing for them mm-hmm. and I think the style or the artifact or whatever it is is created is is basically a result of that relationship Well, when we come back
1: from our break, I'd like to talk a little bit more about how you um work with your clients and how you establish that kind of trust um in the meantime i'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to design matters with debbie millman on voice america business i am your host debbie millman and my guest today is designer writer educator and willoughby we'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages so please don't
8: go away
3: dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
4: And now, part two of Adobe's Voices of Design series, a documentary that brings together different voices from the design community to share and exchange. Today's topic is sustainability. Enjoy.
5: The Power of Designers and Their Influence on Sustainability. Let's listen to what the designers at the Compost Modern 2006 conference have to say on this topic in Adobe's Voices of Design series. Here's Michael Schwab, Schwab Design. Design does influence people. And whether it's subconsciously or or obviously, design does mean a lot, and, and, and it leaves a lasting impression. Paul Sappho, Institute for the Future. Designers are thought leaders, and they're action leaders. Designers have got to get this right, and they've got to define it right, because if they get it wrong, all their wrong ideas are going to be embedded in everything everybody else uses. Mark Willard. IDO. Designers have been shaping culture for as long as there's been design. We have a huge opportunity, and I think before long it's going to be an obligation or a mandate to figure out how to solve these projects, these issues, these desires with sustainably relevant solutions. You have been listening to the Voices of Design series brought to you by Adobe Systems.
0: The challenge of change comes as ramped up due to the advent of information age and the interconnectedness of global community. In a high-tech world, the ability to embrace change, adapt, and respond accordingly is key to personal and professional success. Talking Change with Ann Powers, airing every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, explores the hows, whys, and what to do when faced with change. Embrace the new reality, adopt transition into your personal power portfolio, and tune into Talking Change with Ann Powers every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time, Right here on the Bottom Line Business Talk, Moist America Business. Learn to thrive, not just survive, in business and careers. Unleash your full potential and greatness with the Thrive Factor. Unleashing your potential with tactical coaches and success masters. Hosts Dory Willer and Eva Gregory. Dory, Eva, and their Masters of Thriving expert guests inform, educate, elucidate, and inspire with leading edge information. The Thrive Factor. Unleashing your potential with Dory Willer and Eva Gregory. Broadcast each Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. The Thrive. Factor, success, and inspiration at the click of a mouse.
3: The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business.
0: We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866 472 5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
1: Welcome back. It is 349 and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from New York. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the designer, Anne Willoughby. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for Anne, this is your last chance. Our phone lines are open. Please call 1-866-472-5790. And before the break, Anne, we were talking a little bit about how you work with your clients and the long-term relationships that you've had with your clients, 20-plus-year relationships with many of them. Um, What do you feel is the most important component to the way that you work with your clients? How do you create that type of relationship
2: where you do have this longevity with them? Well, I think part of it has to do with where we're located here in Kansas City, because I would say clearly, uh, two thirds of our work are with entrepreneurs who are starting a business, or they're starting a second business, or they have a something like a book they want to do, or there's somebody with a new product and they they don't quite know how to position it or get it. They are not. I mean, they have everything figured out, but they can't figure out how to either. Um, make money with it or sell it into some place or line extend it, you know, to really make a business enterprise out of it. And I think that's what we do better than anything else. And so we end up working mainly with, uh, you know, the owners or CEOs of uh, smaller enterprises. And we do some work, as you know, for larger companies like Hallmark and IBC and, and, um, and uh, Lee Jeans and people like that. But what we're doing for them normally are... Um, Branded campaigns, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and product development. Now, do most
1: do most of your clients find you? Do you have a, a big new business function at, at Willoughby?
2: How, how do you get most of your clients? Well, I wish I wish I could say we have this wonderful process, but unfortunately, it's mostly word of mouth, which mm-hmm. I've been saying for 25 years, 30 years. that We're going to change that, but you know, never <laughs> that. But if you, if you if you have any ideas, Deb, let me know. I'd love, a, I'd love some help with that. <laughs> okay. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, the third book that that you've
1: designed recently, um, the book that you collaborated with Marty Newmeyer on, the Dictionary of Brand okay. A to Z. And I I read that in Step Magazine um, that you the one of the reasons that you wrote this book is that you felt that every discipline thinks of brand a little bit differently. And then you went on to say that these days great brands are built through the collaboration by specialists, and because collaboration requires a common language, you and Marty Neumeyer decided to create a linguistic foundation. So what inspired you to do a dictionary on branding to create that foundation? I mean, what was the um,
2: impetus and the motivation behind doing the book? I think it was the fact that uh, designers mostly hate the word, not designers, but so many people in design don't like the word branding. Yes, and, and, is and, and I have just, encountered that. <laughs> and and, and I, I think it depends on how you think about it. And I think about it not as a um, something on a cow, as many people say, or even a logo or any of those things. I think about it as almost this sort of abstract feeling that, that, that you have with tangible experiences. And I think a, a good way to illustrate this is like one of the most Important areas of branding now is for non not not for profit, and that I'd say probably I don't know twenty percent of our work is in this category where we're really helping um, institutions organizations brand themselves, and they love it because they understand there is a process, and we've been doing it for you know forever, you know, in the, especially in the last half of the 20th century. Everybody does this; they just don't want to call it that. Right. But it's really about uh, differentiating, and you and I learned at Harvard, uh, about <laughs> doing something different or, or doing it a different way. Right. And that's how you're successful these days. And, uh, there are tools for it. And so Marty and I, and, 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 uh, n- not just the two of us, but, um, on our, on the board that we're on together, the uh, brand experience board, uh, felt like that, with uh, within sort of, sort of the new rules of collaboration where we're the, sort of the David Kelly P thing where, You have have the big picture thinking, but you have this one discrete set of skills. That's the way great things happen. So um, we thought this book would be sort of a common language because the way it works now, everybody, if you're an advertising agency, you think you own branding. Identity firms think they own it and marketing firms, and it's really not about that at all. Well, I think it's a, I think consumers really own it. It's one of the things oh, yeah, I were talking
1: do about last week. Yeah, know, everybody wants to own completely. it, but really what we should be doing yeah. is just expressing it
2: so that consumers yeah. can own it. You know, we're just helping. I mean, and there's a lot of good work out there and there's a lot of bad work out there. And I also think people get, get something else confused. I think because there's a sort of national guilt about consumption in our country. Mm. And it, it, well it's, it's, it's absolutely true we have too many products, we have too many products that are like, we have too many choices, we have a lot of things that don't make sense. But on the other hand, we have a lot of things that are absolutely wonderful. And if you go into the, like the, the, some of the new areas of, of uh, design for sustainability or that whole space, there's so many opportunities to create new businesses and new ideas that really provide services and products that people would love. Well, I know that you're doing quite a lot of work in sustainability these days. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Some of the projects. Probably the most um, exciting one I'm doing now. We're doing now is with Mohawk Papers, and they recently uh, purchased Strathmore, and mm-hmm. they've turned it. They've turned the brand into a the, the script. Is 100% post-consumer waste and 30%, but they it is also made with wind-generated energy. And Mohawk's just a wonderful company. And so they ask us to curate the sustainability portfolio. And so we've um, engaged Nike and Hewlett Packard, and we've, we have Herman Miller, of course, Aspen, Aspen Ski school, school, and a wonderful little firm called Tricycle, and there's several others, uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium, um, to tell us their sustainability story. So we did these interviews, and they're just remarkable how these companies are networking and working together and they need so many things. They need tools, they need artifacts, they need services. And this space for designers is just amazing. Uh, I'll give you a... Do you have time for a quick quick example? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We have the three minutes till okay. close, okay. so okay. absolutely. The, uh, tricycle, and uh, many designers know Tricycle, but Michael Hendricks, they're down in Chattanooga. It was four designers, um, What well, two designers and an engineer and a... Um, a Carpet developer to guys two Brits, and they came up with a processing, um, a digital way of of um, selling or not, but but um, digitally showing carpet to interior designers that save the industry so much money, and it was it's been adopted by every major, um, car, um you know, carpet manufacturer now, and they can take these designs to their clients. And it saves the industry so much money, and they're the only ones in that space right now. And they're doing very well. And they're just one example of hundreds and hundreds of products and ideas that need to be designed and developed.
1: And so this is something that I think you believe in probably more than... Anybody else working today, I mean, I think that you're one of the pioneers in this area. Um, do you feel that there's a lot of resistance from designers about sustainability? I, I, I've sensed that when that word comes up that there's this sort of proverbial eye roll yeah. among um, certain designers, and I, I didn't know if that was something that
2: you were experiencing. Well, uh, what I find instead is that the, the, the really smart people about this that are, that are, you know, the deep thinkers and, you know, the, that really know about it, they feel about it a little bit like we feel about branding. And uh-huh. They really would prefer the word regeneration.
7: Uh-huh. Because
2: okay. many, many people, and I tend to agree in, in certain areas, sustaining is not enough. In other words, doing what we're already doing um, less of is not the answer. We need to do it in new ways. We need to really sort of reinvent how energy gets made, reinvent how um we live, uh, how we get services, how we how things are moved, and I mean that that's a very complex issue. And it's gonna take a lot of us in all kinds of fields to figure it out. And I think that's what Bruce Sterling's new book's about. So I'm giving him a plug here.
7: <laughs> I mean it's
2: really excellent. Shaping yeah. Things by Bruce Sterling. Thank you, Anne. Um Unfortunately, we've come to the end
1: of our show, but I do plan, as, as I'm starting my uh, scheduling for 2007, to do uh, at least a, a couple of shows on sustainability. I'd love to have you back. to would love about to come back. Um, So we've come to the end of our broadcast, and I'd really like to thank you for joining me today, and I'd also like to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Adobe and Nina Paper. I'd also like to thank Ruben Colome and Brian Travis at Voice America or Helping me with our broadcast today, and Jen Simon and Lisa Grant, and my partners at Sterling. Joining me next week is the extraordinary Paola Antonelli. I'd like to thank everybody for listening, and remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week.
0: Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom
7: line in business talk, Voice America Business.